actually hugs me in this shirt. <laughs> oh my gosh. Find your seat. Thank you very much. Your shirt makes me nauseous. I don't even know if you can wear it in the next service. I just can't even deal with it. The only thing that kind of um, tides it over for me, kind of makes it semi-acceptable, is that you're wearing shoes. So thank you. <laughs> hey. We can change that, please. Don't take your shoes off in the next service. Happy Australia Day. Well, happy Australia Day Sunday. And uh, make sure you hang around and, and make the most of family in this amazing weather. Isn't it awesome? So good. Back to school this week. All the mums, are you excited about that? Who's ready? Give me a wave if you wrapped more than 20 books in contact paper. I wrapped 43 books. Yes. Four children. Here we go. Well, here we are. Here we are. It is the end of January. There goes January, right? Just like that. And um, our theme for January and February is We the Church. And we start every year on this theme. Uh, often we can fall into the mindset that church is a place you go to. Church is a building. Church is a service. But church is the sons and daughters of God. We are the church. Church is not a building. It is not a time slot on a Sunday. It's not a place you go to. Church is you and I. It is the family of God. And so every year we start the year like this because it's a really important reminder. Because, do you know, God has a plan for this nation and he wants to use the church to do it. The only way we're going to see the kingdom of God transpire in our generation is through us. This building is not going to grow legs, get up, and move into your neighborhood. But you live in your neighborhood. This building is not going to grow legs and seat itself in the workstation next to you tomorrow or the day after. But you're there because you are God's plan in this generation. We, the church. And so I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed, that our generation and culture these days is very, very, very dry and thirsty. Anyone notice that? Anyone can sort of testify that in your works, workplace, the people, your colleagues, your bosses are parched, they're thirsty, they're searching, they're broken, they're wanting. And they may put up really great facades, but get into a conversation and you realize that they're very quick to admit that things are not as great as they may seem. The world is thirsty. And we are currently in a generation that is more thirsty than previous generations. We're currently in a time where the world is crying out. And so we, the church, are God's answer to those people that we come into contact with. But the generation is thirsty. I remember... Um, a time where I realized my desperate thirst. And I've noticed that Armageddon (laughs) isn't just for the end of the age. Armageddons meet us at every point in our lives. Unexpectedly, we face our own personal Armageddons all the time. And this is the reality of the person next to you at work, the person on the bus, the person at the gym, at the coffee shop, that Armageddons greet us all the time. And we're knocked for a six. We don't know what's happened. And so I remember that time in my life. I remember it so clearly. I was 12 years old. It was Christmas Day. 
And I remember so vividly, 31 Dalmany Street, Algester, on the south side of Brisbane. 12 years old, I remember a Christmas tree in the corner of the lounge room, and I can still see the image in my mind's eye. Flickering colored lights. You know when colored lights were the thing where they weren't pretty warm white lights? Like, <laughs> I remember the flickering colored lights on the Christmas tree in the corner of the lounge room and the view straight out the front door into the portico with my dad's suitcases packed. I remember that day. I remember the months leading up to it where my parents would fight in the backyard all night with my two sisters under each arm with their heads under the doona so they couldn't hear. I remember trying to soothe them and comfort them as the older sister. But this particular day, those suitcases meant for me my life was never going to be the same. Those suitcases meant for me that my perfect little bubble had just exploded. Those suitcases meant for me that the rug had been ripped out from underneath my feet. And Armageddon greeted this 12-year-old girl and that image is still branded on my mind's eye. And I remember over a period of time hearing or learning that my mum had started going to church on the weekends that we were with dad. And that was all right, so long as she was doing that, except that one day she announced that she was going to take us to a Christian family camp. <laughs> Not okay. Not okay. What does that even mean? What does that? I had images of Ned Flanders, <laughs> and I was concerned about what this was going to be. And so we went along to this family camp, and I want to tell you, I met the church before I met Jesus. I met the church before I met the God who loved me. I remember meeting people who actually cared about my response when they asked me how I was. I remember meeting people who remembered my name the first time I told them my name. I remember people who actually smiled and laughed and had a great time together. I remember thinking, these people are not like Ned Flanders. I'm pretty sure they're quite normal. But they're different. I remember meeting the church before I met Jesus. And I want to tell you, your colleagues meet you before they meet God. Your family meets Jesus through you. The people in your world meet him through you. And I encountered him through them. I remember at that camp, the youth pastor eventually introducing himself to me and sitting down with me and saying words that were so specific to my situation that it could only have been God directing his conversation. I remember him explaining to me that God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow. I remember him explaining to me that he loves me and he always intended me and no matter what was going on in my life that God knew and counted every tear and cares more than I even realized. I remember him leading me in the salvation prayer in that daggy, you know, canteen at the tables with the plastic chairs. I remember him finding a Bible and taking me through the Bible for the first time in my life. I remember encountering Jesus through people. And then over the, over the period that, that followed, mum would drive us across town to get us to youth ministry, to get us to choir practice, to get us to life group. 
I remember that she would do anything to have us planted in a place that would cause us to flourish in the midst of our brokenness, that would cause us to be replenished in the midst of our thirst. And she did everything she could. I remember that she would sit around the dinner table and start to teach us principles. I want to say to you parents, it is not enough for you to drop your young person off on Friday night and expect Cam and Amanda to instill principles into them. I remember her as a single mum changing her own mindset so that she could bring us up in ways that were contrary to what she once knew. Ways that would set us up for a hope and a future. I remember the conversations where she would say, that's acceptable and that's not acceptable. Where she would say to us, this is kingdom, this is the world. I remember those conversations. But I remember, I just remember the church and possibly it's the reason I've given my whole life to it is because I am a living testimony of what a church can do. And so in the book of Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, the Apostle John has this vision of the church. After all the wars, after the end time, after she's been through everything, she's finally restored and she's beautiful. And in the very last chapter of the Bible, he describes how beautiful she is. And he calls her the bride. And she speaks and she says one thing. She says one thing. She says, come. In Revelation 22, verse 17, the Holy Spirit and the bride. The Spirit and the bride, and it's defined in the Amplified Bible. The bride is the church. True Christians. (laughs) Have you ever met one of those people where you go, oh, you're a real Christian? (laughs) Yeah, I love that it's in the Bible too. Like there are Christians and then there are real Christians. Okay? The Spirit, yeah. The spirit and the bride, the church, the true Christians, what do they say? They say, come. They say, let him who is listening say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, defined, who is painfully conscious of his need of those things by which he can be refreshed, supported, and strengthened. Whoever earnestly desires to do it, let him come. Let him take. Let him appropriate and drink the water of life without cost. The church has a heart of invitation. The church has a heart of generosity and provision. The church has a heart of acceptance. The church says, come. The church says, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. The spirit is God himself with us today. He's with us in this room. He's with us at home. He's with us in every one of the things we do every day. The spirit and the bride, the church, say, come. They work in unison and they say one thing. They say, come. We have a heart for the thirsty, a heart for the lost. I grieve the idea that the church would ever lose its heart for the thirsty. I grieve the idea that we would be so caught up in our own lives that we would forget our own thirst and what it felt like one day. We would forget it to the point where we don't offer water to others. I grieve that thought. And God forbid that I would ever lead a church that's so full and so comfortable that she never reaches out and says, come, come, come and drink for free. Just come. 
come. But do you know the bride doesn't live for herself? She lives for the bridegroom. She lives for the bridegroom. But the thing is, if you haven't met Jesus in a real way, if you're not intimate with Jesus, if you haven't had a revelation of Jesus, you will live in fear and self. But when you've had a revelation of Jesus, you're going to be saying, come, come and meet him. Come and meet him. Come and experience what I've experienced. Because the bride no longer lives for herself. She lives for her bridegroom. And she's proud of him. And she wants to share him. And so she says, come, come, come and meet him. Let me take you to him. And so we find ourselves in this place in the presence of God where we're being watered, where we're being transformed, where we're being transformed. My first point this morning is that in the church, we the church, in this environment together, when we come together, when we commit to one another, when we invite the thirsty, do you know what happens? They're reprogrammed. In the church, we reprogram. There's a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 2 where Isaiah says that there's going to come a time where people in the world say, let us go to the mountain of the Lord so that we can learn the way we're meant to live. Where the world says, let us go to the mountain of the Lord so we can learn the way we're meant to live. Do you know the first thing you realize in church is that the way I was living is really different to God's plan for my life. And often the world, when when they're not ripe, when they're not ready, or when they're looking for excuses, will say, well, church is all about rules. It's all about what you can and can't do. But the reality is when you meet your bridegroom and he sees you in your perfection, the way he intended you to be, you are suddenly brought to a greater place of your own potential. You suddenly realize, I don't need to behave like that anymore. I don't need to be involved in those things anymore. I've found my identity. I've found my wholeness. I've found this this lover of my soul who says how great and perfect and loved I am. I no longer want to do those things. And so we come in here into this environment of believers and we hear about God's plan for our lives and we're re programmed. We are reprogrammed. We realize that we have been and we are the sum total of all our previous experiences in life. You are literally a bag of experiences. That's what you are. Your worldview was shaped by your family. Your self-worth is determined by your family and your experiences. And so you are literally just the sum total of your experiences. And so we can come in here and we hear about these things of God, these amazing things, and you feel a certain way and you go, well, my reality is so far removed from what you're saying. And we can feel detached from the reality of God. The thing is, our programming growing up is so foundational to us that we respond without even thinking. We don't even give it a conscious thought. We think everyone's the same as us, except they're not, because they didn't have the same experiences as you. That's why you can look at someone and go, what? (laughs) 
And they think what they're doing is normal. And to you, it's so weird. Because we've all had different experiences. And so we come in here and we hear these things and we're like, well, that's just so far removed from my reality. Except that we have a spirit. A spirit that's been suppressed while we've lived in the world. A spirit that's been denied while we've lived in the world. And suddenly we come in here, we hear these things and something starts to resonate. The spirit of God the spi- re- resonates with the spirit of man. We come alive. We are regenerated from the inside out. Our spirit starts to resonate. Our spirit starts to testify to us. It tells us that the Holy Spirit witnesses to us that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit convicts us. Conviction is different to condemnation because conviction says, you don't need to do that anymore. Let me help you out. Condemnation backs you into a corner. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit that says, here's a hand. Let's do this together. And so we're changed from the inside out from our spirit. Our spirit resonates here. And so we, we find the way we're meant to live, Isaiah 2 verse 5. This is my personal experience of church. I watched mature Christians and I began to model my life off theirs. And I am so glad that in my church there were mature Christians. People who weren't 30 years later still looking for milk. I am so glad that I was able to look at mature Christians and learn from them. And I watched them. I was supported and I was encouraged to think in new ways, to believe new things. I was encouraged and supported. I found wholeness in the church. In life group, I was able to ask questions about things that didn't make sense. I don't know whether you grew up in church or not. I didn't grow up in church. And so when people are singing, worthy is the lamb, I'm going, what? And when people are standing around like this for 30 minutes, they look like they're in a trance. (laughs) Hello, are we so Christian that we forget there are people who need our support? There are people who need us to sit with them and have coffee with them and say, come, come and ask questions. I may not have all the answers, but let's figure it out together. Let's support each other. I was able to ask questions. I was supported. And over time, the repetition of God's word being taught started to replace my old mindsets. We have to commit to growth mode. We have to commit to growth mode. And this can be quite difficult for new Christians because sometimes we can look at mature Christians and feel like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to make it. And so for a season, it may be a long season, you have to do this by diligent choice rather than instinct until it becomes an instinct. You have to commit to it. Too many Christians start to find their regeneration and then detach and stunt their growth and ultimately fall back into old mindsets and defaults. And it grieves me to no end I want to um, illustrate to you what this looks like. I've got some lovely volunteers. Danielle and Talia, would you come up? Let's give them a round of applause. Let's just stand here, one on either side. Danny and Talia. So on Anointing Sunday, the first Sunday of the year, 
uh, was an amazing day, an incredible day. And on that day, we sung a song called Flood the Earth in all of our services. And um, it was just such a powerful moment and such a prophetic song. That song has been on repeat for weeks in my house. And it talks about um, that we'll push back the dark. What are the words? Um, freedom is here. Freedom is here. Um, Pain has to go. Right. So it, it talks about pushing back darkness. It talks about a release of heaven. It talks about freedom. It's, it's a prophetic song. It is a nation-shifting, atmosphere-changing song, which is why we did it. And on the day, um, I'm standing in for Nancy. It was these three girls, Danny, Nancy, and Talia, who sung this song. And this is the picture of the church, because what you saw were three cute girls singing a really awesome song. But what I saw when Danny sung the bridge, what I saw was the abused rising up and punching the abuser in the face. What I saw was the oppressed rising up and defeating the oppressor. What I saw on this side, you may have seen a cute indigenous girl singing a chorus. What I saw was a warrior with her grandmother, Pastor Jeanette Smith, in the congregation, with her father and mother, Pastor Pete and Davina Smith, anointing people with oil. So when this girl sings, she's not singing words. She's getting around the oppressed. She's getting around the abused. And she's saying, me and my heritage, with backing me, I'm pushing back darkness. This is not a word or a lyric. And together... With arms joined, the three of them were the picture of the church. An army. An army. An army where breakthrough happens, support is provided for that breakthrough, and together when we rise up, we push back darkness. We push back darkness. This is what it looks like in the spirit may look to you like three cute girls in the spirit. I'm telling you, these girls are fierce. Doesn't look like that in the spirit. They're in their warrior garb. And when they sing with closed eyes, like Danielle did that whole bridge, she's taking ground. Not only for herself, she's come to a place where she's taking ground for you. That's the church. That is the church. Thanks, girls. We have to commit to it. We commit to this linking of arms. We commit to this place of growth and revelation. We commit to it. We are loyal to it. We press into it. We move forward together. We take ground together. We step into it together and we come from all different backgrounds we come from all different worldviews but together we have one mission push back the dark push back the dark see people restored into who God says that they are taking back territory that has been stolen from them we have to be where his word is taught we have to be there regularly we have to be committed to growth Paul said to the church in Philippi Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh my gosh, we live in a church that's like, you know, the grace of God just covers everything. 
No. I mean, yes, yes, it does. But we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Danielle and I have had many awkward conversations. And every time I say to her, I don't know how to say this, and it's really not easy to say. There is no easy way for me to tell you this. But if I don't tell you this, you won't grow. If I don't tell you this, I'm doing you a disservice. I'm crossing my fingers and my toes that you won't give me the forks and say the church hurt you on the way out. And just recently, it was another one of those conversations, and she literally said to me, you can stop saying that. Is it on me to decide how I receive this? Isn't it on me to realize you love me and you want what's best for me? She said, stop prefacing everything with this is really awkward and I hope you take it the right way. And that's what working out your salvation with fear and trembling looks like. That's what it looks like to be committed. That's what it looks like to be joining arms, to be connected and to know people love you and want to see you move forward. We are reprogrammed in church. We encounter God in church. Isaiah 55 says, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money... Come and buy and eat. What is he saying? The world has no money. It has money, but it has poverty of spirit. It is in extreme poverty and has no money. So come and come if you have nothing and drink for free. Eat for free. It goes on and it says, why do you waste your life on the things that don't satisfy? Come and listen carefully. Eat what's good and let your soul delight. We encounter God here. One thing I've found, that as different as we all are, we all resonate with the truth that there is something, there is a desire for more than what we're experiencing right now. The one common ground every person has is a void that the Bible calls a God-shaped hole. In Ecclesiastes, I've placed eternity in the hearts of all men a desire for something more. And it's, it's luring and it's beautiful and it's not a place, it is not a building, it is a bridegroom that we go to and together we are the church and we invite people into that to come and drink, to be restored. I was restored in the church slowly over time. My body was healed when I was diagnosed with a, a condition. My mind was renewed and continues to be renewed. This is the place where we go and we find answers. And we say, come, drink, and as we drink, we're healed. My second thought this morning is that we're repurposed. We're reprogrammed and we're repurposed. Because once we were living for ourselves, and now we're no longer living for ourselves. We realize our lives are not our own. And everything that we achieve, we understand in humility, we have only achieved by the grace of God. Like the prophet Isaiah says, all I have done, Lord, you have done for me. It's the humility of God that the scripture says, you know, a farmer may plant and water the seed, but ultimately it's God who makes it grow. We don't take credit. The moment you take credit, you're in trouble. And so we're repurposed. We realize our lives are not our own. In chapter 6 of Isaiah, he has this amazing moment where he is in the presence of God, where He has come and he is seeing the presence of God where we're transformed and we're healed and we're drinking and we're restored. 
But the funny thing is when you see God, you suddenly see yourself as well. And he's like, whoa. He says, woe is me. I have unclean lips and I'm of a generation of unclean lips. The first thing we see is we're like, God, I'm so far from your intention for me. And that's okay. It's a beautiful place to be. That's called repentance. (laughs) And in that moment, an angel comes and he takes coal and coal has refining properties to it and he touches Isaiah's lips with this coal symbolizing that he's been purified. And the next question is quite powerful. God speaks up in verse 8. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, send me, I will go. God's permanent opinion about you is ready, set, go. Regardless of what you've done. The enemy will tell you you can't go because of A, B, C, and D. I want to tell you right now, that is a lie from the pit of hell to make his church ineffective. God's permanent opinion about you is ready, set, go. So go. Go. Be the church. When we humble ourselves, God purifies us and then sets us loose. And this is not a role or a function or a roster or a ministry. This is who we are. It is who you are wherever you are. You are an everyday example of God's releasing power and his purification. You are present in your world for a reason. Ready, set, go. You are the church out there. You are the church. One of my really close friends was told halfway through her pregnancy that her child would most certainly not live. And she was being so pressured to terminate the pregnancy. And she said, no, that they wouldn't. The nurse who was insisting at the time got so angry, so mad that she would waste taxpayer dollars to see this pregnancy through. So mad and aggressive. Why? He said to her, why would you go through with this? It makes no sense. And she just said, because we like to give God every opportunity to do a miracle. You're a Christian. When they ask, tell them why. You don't have to say, oh, just because we'll see how it goes. Tell them. I believe in God and I want to give him every opportunity for a miracle. When she delivered the baby, the baby lived a day and died. The doctors were right. And the nurse said to her, how do you feel? How are you going? And she said, well, God's still good. The nurse said to her, at this moment, I see everyone lose their faith right here at this moment. Muslims, Christians, I see them lose their faith. You are the first person who has ever said that. I have another friend who works in a law firm. She was, Romy, she was sharing last Sunday night. She was sitting around the lunchroom and all the, you know, high-flying lawyers were talking about the Barefoot Investor, this financial program that they're all into right now. And, and Romy goes, oh, does he? And she goes, I didn't think before I said it because obviously he doesn't. But she goes, oh, does he make provisions for a tithe? And they're like, what? She's like, 
No, he wouldn't, would he? Because he's not a Christian. So inside she's going, why did I say that? But then she had the opportunity to talk about a tithe. What? You give 10% of every paycheck? Yeah, that's what, like, it's who you are. Wherever you are. (laughs) Wherever you are. It's in the hairdresser's chair. When your hairdresser starts telling you about how much life really sucks right now, and you can say to her, well, can I pray for you? So I've done with my hairdresser over 12 years, still believing for her salvation, but she came to SWB last year. She's reading her Bible. She's reading her children, the Bible that I gave her for her children. It's who you are. You are not just a Christian in a building. You are the church. You are the bride yeah. who is saying, come, come on your seats. You have these for the one cards. I'd love for you to take a minute right now because I know how great we are at procrastination and you will not do this if you don't do it right now. There are pens also in the seat pockets, hopefully. I want you to consider the ones in your world. And when we design this, we specifically put five ones, not one, two, three, four, five, because every single person is a one, is a one to God. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And this is just five ones. I want you right now to consider and write down the family member who's away from God, the guy at the gym, the guy at the coffee shop, your hairdresser, your neighbor, your work colleague, the family member who's away from God. And I want you to write those names down in there. Just as we wrap up. The greatest and only call is discipleship. How are you going? read you what's on the back of the card as you're saying as you're writing those out these are my ones and I commit to being present in their world to offer hope to listen with my heart to embrace kindness and to practice compassion my desire is to be an example of Christ in what I say and do and that in me they see a Jesus they want to follow I will pray for them that the seed of salvation will be sown for a time of harvest and that the opportunities will abound for Jesus to show himself to them. As the author of peace, joy, and wisdom, I will pray that their lives become a testimony to the miracle of being lost once and found within the greatest love story ever told. These are my ones. These are your ones. The greatest and only call of the church is discipleship to say, come with me. You don't take an orphan and dump them on a doorstep. You take them and you take them into your home and you raise them up. When you say, come, you take responsibility for them. Did you know you will get a crown in heaven if you do this? It's called the crown of life. And the crown of life is given to anyone who feeds the flock. Salome and Quentin, you'll be getting this crown. Life group leaders, faithful. Anyone 
who feeds the flock gets the crown of life. 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 5 says, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. There is an eternal reward assigned to anyone who lives beyond themselves for other people. God has given, God has a vision for this city, for this nation, and he wants to use the church to bring it to pass. So this morning, I'd love for you to stand to your feet, hold this card in your hand. We're just going to take a moment to pray over our ones. I'd love for you to hold this card up to heaven, put it on your heart, hold it in your hands, whatever it is, make this a meaningful moment. These are names that are dear to you. These are real people. These are eternities. These are ones hand-fashioned by God himself. And I want to tell you, God cares so much about every single one written on these cards across this room. So would you just raise it to heaven and start to pray? Father God, come on, start to pray, church. Come on, church. Send me, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. Thank you, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, that we will see a harvest of souls. Your word says that the harvest is right, but the laborers are few. I pray that at City Point Redcliffe, you would find an army of laborers. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that rises up and steps into the world and says, come. Come, come and drink of the water of life. Come and meet him. Come and meet him. Father, for our ones written on these cards, Lord Jesus, we see them and we call them back to your heart. Lord Jesus, that we would be there at their pointed times of need. Lord God, that we would be able to point them to you in their moments of thirst. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your transformational power for the supernatural plan of God that meets us in our mess and in our want, that restores us. Lord God, we thank you. We see in advance these ones on these cards being restored. Father, we see them being healed. We see them finding fullness and wholeness, Lord God, as we live our lives as examples of that. Stir us again and again and again to pray and to invite, and to bring and to disciple to be your hands and feet in Jesus' mighty name.
Amen. Church, put this somewhere where you will not forget about it. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your bedside table. Pin it up somewhere and pray over them. Be mindful of them. Ask God for generous strategies that you can execute in their lives, whatever it takes. Amen. You are His plan into their lives. You. I just bow your heads and close your eyes one more time. I want to make an invitation to anyone here this morning and you're away from God. I want to offer you an invitation to come back, to come, to come back to Him. Maybe you've never, ever made a decision to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. I was in your shoes once. I was offered this same invitation. I want to tell you accepting that invitation, responding to that invitation is the best decision I've ever made in my life and has shaped every decision since then. Maybe you made this decision once, but the distractions of life have pulled you away. Maybe you're lukewarm, you're not all in, and today you want to say, no, I am making Jesus the Lord and Savior of my life. I want to tell you I've been in your shoes too. This morning is your morning. There's no mistake that you're here hearing these words. You're hearing this invitation. I want to invite you to respond. In a few moments, I'm going to count to three, and if that's you, you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life, I'd love for you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. This is just the start for you. This is just the start for you. So on the count of three, if that's you, I'd love for you to raise your hand. One, God loves you. He intends you. He has a plan for your life. Two, you need to know he's not angry at you. He's not disappointed. He loves you with an unconditional love. Three, if that's you, why don't you give me a wave right across this room as I look this morning. Thank you, thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see your hand. Anyone else? Just one more moment. I'm going to join these ones. This is why we exist. It's for you right now. Thank you, I see your hand. Beautiful. Amazing. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these hands that I've seen. Lord, but I see hands, you see hearts. And this morning, maybe there are others who didn't raise their hand, but you're, they're responding in their hearts, and you are so okay with that. You see our hearts, God. And this morning, Lord, at the moment of repentance, Lord, there is forgiveness. You come in like a flood in our lives. You make all things new. The Word says that the old has gone and the new has come. And so this morning, I thank you for this moment of salvation, this moment of turning our hearts back to you. Father, I thank you, Lord God, you make us clean, you make us white as snow. Lord, you wipe the slate clean because of the sacrifice your son made on our behalf to pay our debt. We receive that this morning and believe in faith that this is the start of an eternity with you, both sides of eternity, here and in the next. Lord God, we thank you that we can be reconciled to you, our Heavenly Father. So this morning, I thank you for salvation in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen. 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 Well, if you raised your hand, our team would have seen you and someone will come and offer you a Bible. Um, but even if they don't, I want to encourage you, tell someone that you've responded, that something shifted in your heart this morning. Read your Bible. If you don't have one, we want to give you one for free. Pray. Pray is communi communion with God, communication with God. It's not something that you have to follow a formula for. It's literally communicating with God. 
and, um, and just keep coming to the services where you're going to grow and you're going to hear about God's plan for your life and move forward into those things. Amen? Amen, church. Let's pray for our ones this year. Let's um, have an amazing, amazing weekend. And um, I'm praying for you all the time. Just know I'm praying for you all the time, believing that what God's doing through us is significant in this region. Amen? Love you, church. Let's go out praising God. Thank <laughs> you.